I'm like not into this at all. I don't. I have no idea what's going on. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode eleven. In this episode, we're doing the sense of an ending by Julian Barnes. I'm Ryan, and across from me is Jacob. What's going on? Welcome to Better the Bookshelf. Yes, our bi-weekly, tri-weekly, weekly. It's kind of been weekly for the... Lately. Uh, yeah, for yeah. lately. Not necessarily this episode, but previously we've had a few that have kind of been rapid-fire released. But yes, our regularly bi-weekly book club-esque cult podcast thingamajig where we just, you know, talk ad nauseum yep. about... Stupid shit, mostly. Uh, yeah, stupid shit being books. And if you haven't read this book, this is actually the shortest book, which I think qualifies as a novella, not as a as a novel. Um, if you want to be technical, so this is this is a, a good book to pick up if uh, you want something just really fast to read over the weekend. Uh, so if you haven't read it, go buy it, go read it, and then come back and listen to us. Unless you don't care about listening to two guys talk about something, you have no idea what it's about. Yeah. So we're going to give you a little background real quick on Julian Barnes, the author. I'll give you a brief, dirty summary. And then we're just going to get into the meat of the episode, which is us just kind of chewing over the fat. You've got a lot of questions this week, which yeah, I'm excited I've, about. I've got thoughts. I think I have one. Okay. I don't know how you came up with 15, 30 questions over this short of a book. I will say a short book, yeah. but a dense book, I yes. think. It, it wasn't short. I, it it didn't feel brief. It was definitely short, but not necessarily brief, I think. But yeah. anyway... We'll get into that, and then uh, finally we'll have our patented, copyrighted, trademarked. We've got Disney's lawyers coming over to help us out with that uh, on our <laughs> three-tiered rating system. And uh, then we'll tell you what we got coming up uh, in future episodes. So Let's talk about Julian Barnes. Let's get into it. All right, so uh, Barnes, another English guy. Uh, if you didn't catch the end of last episode, uh, when I was flying out of Gatwick, uh, I picked up this book at a, um, at a bookstore in the airport, after I had read a couple of, of his other books, um, he's got a, a two-part uh, series, uh, Talking It Over and then Love Etc. Um, kind of follows this uh, these three people um, and their sort of love triangle situation. Uh, so this, this book is one of his more recent ones. Uh, he won the Man Booker Prize in uh, 2011 for this one. Uh, he was shortlisted for a couple of his other books as well for the same prize. Um, Flaubert's Parrot, which is uh, a great name. It's a good uh, title. Flaubert is. And uh, England, England. Uh, and that was in the, I think, 80s and, and 90s. Those, those two came out. Uh, he actually has a new book out uh, in f from this February uh, 2018 uh, called The Only Story. Um, and I might, may pick that one up. Uh, it sounds like it's about a uh, college student, so kind of in the, the same vein as where he kind of starts in this yeah. one as far as like, you know, memories and, and whatever. Uh, but anyway, uh, Barnes is, uh, he's about 72 now, so we have the opportunity. Hopefully we don't uh, force him to kick the bucket here. Uh, we need to kick that curse. Yeah, uh, I think we just need to ignore it. And maybe if we don't acknowledge it, that it will no longer uh, come back to to rear its head. I hope so. We we probably do need to drop that subject. Um, I'd feel or terrible. just need to start picking terrible authors. 
Uh, I'm just going down that road. Still open to a few people. I've I've got a short list of uh, of people that I would read just for that purpose. Um, but one interesting thing about Barnes uh, is that he is sort of a francophile. Um, in that he's really into like French culture and stuff. Yeah. Um, so in the uh, talking it over and, and love, etc., uh, the the mother of one of the characters who kind of floats in and out uh, is uh, is from France, and there's there's a lot of stuff in there related to that. Uh, and then you know I think even in this one, you know, it sort of comes out when he's talking about his his wife's uh, uh, truffle stuffed chicken. Um, yeah, he actually, makes, he yeah. makes a reference to that. Um, so yeah, that's just sort of a, an interesting uh, tidbit. And one last thing, he has written under um, the pseudonym Dan Cavanaugh some uh, some crime novels, apparently. So interesting. Yeah, I was this like early on in his career, or just kind of intermittently? I have to admit, I didn't look. Okay, um, so so you failed. Yeah, I failed. Uh, well, well, hopefully, you do better on the on the summary. Uh, I didn't, but oh, okay. uh, we'll give it a whirl. Anyway, right. the, uh, the Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes is a story about Tony, a man dealing with the inadequacies of his own memories, except in the case of his very lurid and vivid masturbatorial affairs as a younger man. I think that very well kind of encompasses the entire spirit of, uh, of this story. What do you think? I think it no way covers like half of things, but it's 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 humorous and it's not entirely false. It isn't. So it counts. Yeah. I get partial credit. We'll right. take a seventy. We'll take our C on that one and we'll move on. Yeah. Before we get into questions, yes. I want to talk about um like we mentioned, this is a this is a brief or not a brief, excuse me, a short but not brief book. It's yes. it's, it's pretty dense with uh with everything that's going on in it. But I have a theory about this book. Okay, we'll start with that. Having read the book, and this is, you know, I guess this is unique to what we've done on the show before because we haven't had something this short. Uh, I read the book in its entirety in one sitting, yeah. in one day. And it was nice because there was a lot that you're kind of like still ruminating over and thinking about as the story's progressing. And right. It, it, I think it reads really well like that. But um, when I got towards the end and, and, and put it down eventually and finished it, I came back the next day and I kind of felt like I didn't really have uh, sort of a complete experience with it, so I did something. Okay, I went bad. I went back and read the entire first section again, okay. and in doing so, I realized I think that this is a 224-page book masquerading as a 163-page book. I think that this book, from a reading standpoint, obviously it's not written to be read that way, but uh-huh. for my own personal enjoyment, I think this is a book that you read the first section, the second section, and then you read the first section again. Interesting. And I will say that the reason why I think that is, is because when you look at the actual story of this book, the story, you know, as we're kind of uh, in a more traditional sense, is the entirety of the second section, right? Sure, we're, sure. We're, we're kind of, the, the plot is taking a very sort of linear approach throughout this, this conflict of him kind of reconnecting with the idea of Adrian's suicide, you know, four decades later and, uh, mm-hmm. and dealing with kind of this correspondence and, and all of this sort of mystery surrounding that and just his kind of quest to figure out more. And everything within the first section is essentially we're, we're given uh, we're given background on our character and, and, and on and on these events. But I feel like the first section really is all about setting up the like idea of this book and, and how it regards to memory and how it regards to, you know, just uh, what we think of Tony. OK, like 
I wrote the the big thing for me about this book was it's 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 like the main thing I got from it was just it's sort of telling us a lot about like the unreliability of of people's versions of events in their lives, partially sure. because we reinvent them to make ourselves look and feel better, and partially because you know a lot of times we just don't have all of the information, we don't have all the access to you know all the facts. And this book, the way that I read it with the first section, then the second section, and all the revelations that come through there, and then going back to the first section. It makes it a completely different experience going through that first time. There's so much that's there that is you just you just sort of read and take it face value and you don't really think about. Okay. And then when you come back and read it again, you look at it in a different way and it really does enhance, I think, everything about this story. So that's my theory is this is a 224-page book masquerading as a 163-page book. That's interesting. I mean, I... I have the intention, I got to the end and I was like, I need to read this again. And not in the sense that like I missed something or um, I had as as brilliant a, a theory as, as that, but more so like I felt like I needed to, to re-experience the book just because of its complexity, right? So like I, th- I think something that, that Barnes does really well in this book is that um, he's he's almost like poetic about the way that he structures sentences, the detail that that he puts in. Every single thing to me um, f- felt very much like it had meaning, and you couldn't just gloss over, you know, a paragraph or a sentence or anything like that. The word I kept thinking about in reading this was deliberate. Everything yeah. that yep. was written in this book was written very deliberately, and even things that you kind of go, you know, oh, okay, like just. The structure of sentences, the the choice of words, the choice of of how he lays out kind of the way he explains the things, they're very deliberate. And at first glance, you just kind of take it for face value. But like I said, as you right, go back right. and you reread it again, you understand that, or at least you see that. And that would that's the one word that stood out to me in reading this, and and would be you know, I I, I would I would hope in in other works that he's that he's written because you know if that's the case, I would love to read more from this author just yeah. because of that approach to, to writing and it's done in a very like accessible um in a very smart and witty and just deliberate way yeah uh, i mean having read two of his other books i can definitively say yes that's how he writes and this was a bit more um dense uh, you know than than some of his other stuff just because of the form he was he was obviously trying to let this this narrative you know take place in um but yeah i mean I think this was him, you know, kind of on display, right? Like this is all, all his best stuff um, just in a compact form that I think anybody could pick up. Not only enjoy, I think it, it just, it was, it was one of those books that was, that was deep and complex and, and, and made you think um, not only about like just things that were going on, but sometimes what the characters would say or a, uh, a, a concept about about something um so it was just it, it wasn't exhausting uh by any means but you could exhaust yourself trying to really like do a deep dive into this yeah i agree 100 percent. yeah um so let's i'm gonna ask my first question go I for want, it i want to go straight to you've the got end. a lot of them so let's get them out there i want to go straight rolling. straight to the straight to the end and i, I want to keep okay. this i want to keep this on like the um on the narrative level like the plot level i don't want to necessarily get into um 
like thoughts and emotions and impressions sure. just quite yet because uh, I think the, the there's a there's a good case to be made for a certain way of, of taking things. But um, when you finished the book, what was your gut reaction to the way that the way that it ended? I thought, and I told you this briefly when we were kind of discussing it, we get to a point where we reach kind of a, a, from the plot and everything it sort of climaxes whenever Tony receives his letter that he had written previously that Veronica gives back to him. And I thought everything after that, um, just from a from a narrative standpoint, not not necessarily from kind of the 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 nuggets that you could pull out there and, and think about after the fact, but just from like a storytelling standpoint, I thought it went down significantly um, in quality in my mind. And that's the one knock that I have on this book is I yeah. think the very last like twenty or thirty pages of this book um, weren't quite the payoff that. I felt the previous, you know, everything building up to this point in this book uh, deserved. Yeah. Really. It felt very, uh, and especially even to the point, you know, I'm like, I, I, you know, I was, I always kept like looking back, like how many pages in this book? How many pages is this book? And as I'm getting like, all right, I'm three pages away yep. from the end. I'm two pages away from the end. I kept expecting like something. And then it kind of just sort of at the end is just like, here's the end. Yeah. And then it, it did feel a little bit, uh, it did feel a little bit, anticlimactic even though it was the end is kind of this whole like oh like reveal and right. it's like oh now everything is kind of left out there to sort of make sense it did it felt like very just sort of like a like a little bit of a letdown i will say that yeah i i had the like distinct feeling inside of just like but 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 what but uh and and that was that was kind of it but then it's the first time I think that I've that I've read a book that I I really really enjoyed all the way through, and the ending from like a, a like satisfaction standpoint uh, was was really low. But I still thought it was a great book. Yeah. Like despite the, like so I'm I'm I think I'm gonna go back and and read part one tonight after after we record and and see if that sort of mitigates like that and maybe i'll pick up the last like five pages and read through and then immediately flip just like it's all one one thing and and sort of see um see how it reads i mean obviously you know there is uh an ending there just by the way he sort of slows that last paragraph down and it becomes um you know sort of a reflection on things um but yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't i think tie a bow on anything which i you know kind of is the point of of some of this right is like life is kind of always open-ended right like you never get a, a clean finish to to much of anything i mean the title of the book is the sense of an ending it would make sense that we wouldn't be getting you know this sort of idea everything's kind of closed up and we get this nice tight knit story. I mean, yeah. you kind of go into it expecting that type of like, oh, okay, that's a little cheeky. But no, I definitely think that I had a greater appreciation for everything going back and rereading the first section because I think so much of this story, so much of the story isn't made through the actual present day narrative of what's going on and his, as much as it's like, that seems like that would be the intriguing thing. It's, you know, uh, Veronica's mom has died, sent him this letter, and supposedly there's this information regarding Adrian and his diary and all this other stuff. It's right, like, this right. is really intriguing because, you know, this was kind of a big thing 40 years prior, you know, just this sort of uh, 
sterile nature with the way that Adrian killed himself. And there wasn't really a whole lot of information outside of that. And just it, I don't know. It's one of those things that it's like, okay, this could be very fascinating to kind of see the narrative of how this unfolds and he gets this sort of information and what happens. But the reality of it is, is the whole first section of the book, I found so much more interesting and in, and, and just sure. pulling me in than everything in the second section. So I think sandwiching that with a different viewpoint going into that first section, I think, I don't know. It, it certainly, I, I ended this book originally and I was like, man, I really, really like this book. And, and even had I not gone back and reread it, I was like, I would probably be very high on this book as far as like recommending it to people and where we would place it on the shelf. Right. But it's still, you just kind of had that little bit of, uh, that little unsatisfied, like that, sure, you know, like sure. something like a, a weird taste in your mouth that you yeah. just, you know, like ah, that doesn't feel right. So you go back and I reread it and it, it, it fixed a lot of things for me in that. Okay. Regard. What do you, what do you think that the, that the title really like means? Cause I, I have a couple, I have a couple ways of, of thinking about it. I think one f- for, for me and, and the one that I, I think is, I guess my truth about what the title could be is it really refers to like coming to terms with like Adrian's decision, like through this, you know, second part and, you know, his interaction with him and, and Veronica and, and that whole situation, like now Tony has some sort of sense of like why things ended for Adrian or, you know, why he chose to kill himself and so for me, I think that made the most amount of sense is that he has a sense of why Adrian did what he did. Yeah, I think that's probably what I would classify it as as well, just because you have, I don't know, because throughout once once Adrian kills himself, you kind of you kind of have it foreshadowed with uh, with Robson, the, the boy that hung himself for right. what we now know is very rel- relatively similar circumstances. Yeah. But just the kind of like juxtaposition early on when we find out that Adrian's killed himself and it's like, oh, these are two completely different, you know, approaches, I guess, to to how you would end a life and how you would, I guess, deal with that. And then, you know, through reading more into the book, we find out that really the difference isn't that that great at all. And there's no kind of I don't know, the that that idea behind it isn't necessarily what we had previously thought it was. So my my other thought about the title really was to do with sort of, you know, Tony himself. And he's obviously coming to terms with, you know, old age and, and relationships mm-hmm. and, and and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think it goes back to sort of what I said earlier that, like, there isn't always closure with, you know, situations or with people. Um you know, he's still got, uh, you know, his, his ex-wife around, so he doesn't have closure in that situation. Sounds like his relationship with his daughter is probably a bit um, a bit more difficult than he lets on. I mean, he kind of implies that, you know, they get along fine and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Obviously, you know, his his closure with, with Veronica is, is not there either. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think you could you could probably read that multiple ways but then I, th- I think there's there's also sort of an ironic ending uh, a reading of that given that like there is no finite end to any of this as a reader and so you just sort of 
are left with an impression of the way that you think this is going to go, right? Right. You like you would assume that Veronica's not going to, you know, one hand over the diary if it even still exists, and then you know, two, they're not going to have some sort of reconciliation, and there's no romance there or anything like that. Um, so I, I think there is sort of that like ironic implied kind of like you figure out how you think you know Tony. Yeah, you know, goes I'm, on from here. I mean, in a literal sense, just to the reader saying that it's you know, there's a sense of an ending here, but it it is. It's really kind of open ended. We're not really left with this everything tied off, everything neatly packed away, and whatever you know, since we want it to be. So, so I, I mentioned uh, mentioned Margaret, and like, did that strike you as weird that they still have like a an amiable relationship, almost like? sort of flirtatious in a way like if you take into account like the vacation yeah um a little bit i felt like we didn't get a whole lot well we we got a little bit but i felt like it was maybe you know whenever tony was kind of describing their relationship in the past we were we were kind of given the same treatment that a lot of what he was describing earlier on in the book too where it's we get a lot of like smoothing over and kind of you know the the time and those memories have kind of been uh, washed over and we kind of get whatever the the narrative that he's kind of given to himself. So I don't know. I feel like there's maybe something there that there was always kind of like that unknown little bit of information because it, it does seem like they're pretty they're pretty uh, close. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I, I I'm, I've never been married to someone for, you know, a couple decades and had a kid. So I'm not really sure how exactly, you know, dealing with that would, would manifest itself. And I could certainly see having that type of, uh, having that type of closeness as being a possibility, uh, after the fact, especially, you know, given their, given their like situation and their age and things like that. But, but she left him, right? So like, yeah, I mean, Um, there's, there's like no animosity with, her seemingly either i mean so i mean we didn't even talk about yet the the whole like unreliable narrator thing and, yeah. and we don't know sort of who we are that he's telling us this story right like you you might if if imagine that if he's telling this to his daughter uh or a coworker he might spin things in a certain light right sure. and and leave out some things but it's it, it struck me as strange that he still sort of relied on her for like advice and um you know sort of support like through some of these sort of you know benign activities that he was kind of going through to try to get this this diary yeah i think i think some of that too is like you saw like after he ended there after they ended their relationship you know he he didn't really he didn't really do anything and they even had a moment where in the book he was talking about where she had she had kind of approached the idea of them getting back together. And he had said, essentially he's just kind of gotten to the point now where he's just sort of very fixed and accustomed to his lifestyle. And that just wasn't something that, that he saw possible. And so again, you know, that's kind of in the background that maybe there was still that sort of tinge of, uh, of romantic feelings between them. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of it just has to do with kind of the way that his life, you know, the way he lived his life, after they had gotten a divorce that it's not like he really I don't know he didn't really do anything he kind of just sort of retreated into his own existence and you know he I guess he you know he talked about how he worked at the hospital and and just I don't know 
It was it was a little strange, but I could certainly understand. It, it wasn't like jarring. It didn't require a whole lot of suspension of disbelief that they would have uh, a positive relationship, I guess, with each other after the fact. Yeah. So, speaking of not positive relationships, um, there, I got the impression that like. I don't know if it's probably more than an impression. I think it was it was pretty um, clearly implied if if such a thing exists, but um, that he was sort of pondering his like emotions toward Veronica, like in the present day still. Yeah. Even though like for no reason, like if you consider her actions and, and her words and stuff, other than like sort of making herself available to meet and uh, some of these more cryptic things, like. He seems by his like actions with with her and Margaret sort of incapable of um of sort of understanding like relationships um you know and and his part in those you know sort sort of like any attention I can get you know I'll I'll take in a way I don't know if I necessarily saw it that way I saw a lot of you know as he's kind of as this stuff is kind of coming to light and he's spending a lot of time, I guess, like thinking about it and he has these memories that it's like, you know, he's seeing them in a completely different way where it's like, Oh, you know, she never danced. And then suddenly he had a memory of when, you know, they were hanging out at his apartment and she was dancing or when she went to the Severn board with him. And it's just, it seemed like he was spending a lot of time like throughout the whole, throughout that whole process towards the end of just, really reevaluating what it is kind of the things that he perceives about his past and his and his relationship with her and i think that we're as a reader supposed to go and kind of do the same that it's you know maybe you know we we're presented this this early on in the book we're kind of presented the story of their relationship and everything that happens mm-hmm. and you know you're led to kind of feel pretty sympathetic for for tony i mean just kind of in the way that things go throughout all that like you never really like feel like uh like I don't I don't know like you take everything he says and you know you just kind of get drawn into accepting like the things that he says and the way that he feels and everything like that and you're you know you're you're kind of on board with it and then you get to the whole second half and he's realizing that all of these memories that he has and his interpretation of like how her family was acting when he was there and it's just like oh god they weren't they weren't looking down on me maybe it was you know maybe I just completely had the entire wrong read on this and all this wrong read on thing. And so I felt like it was one of those things where he was just now questioning everything that he thought and felt and all of his other, you know, just sort of emotions in regards to that whole situation. I can understand that after, you know, as long as it's been between those, if to have these sort of things just kind of coming to the surface in his mind, yeah, I can understand how he would be questioning a whole lot of things and how that would at least lead him to have these sort of, you know, these this sort of welling up and everything's kind of coming to the surface and he's kind of feeling all of these things that he hadn't really felt in years because he's now looking at things through a slightly different lens you know after he reads the letter and you know it's he doesn't really throughout the you know when he's first talking about the letter we're not led to believe that he sends this you know like very you know nice letter i mean nothing in it right that we that we eventually come to see as vicious as it as it's it's pretty it's a pretty uh it's a pretty vicious letter but yeah Nothing we're led to believe that it's like, oh, you know, he's just he's just, you know, being nice. But even him reevaluating just the idea of like what her motivations were for convincing Adrian to write to him and things like that, that maybe he he didn't necessarily see things in the same light. And I think that that probably leads to like weird unresolved feelings for him, for sure. 
Yeah, I, you know, maybe we should get into the the theme of you know history and, and memory. You know, yeah. early on, you know, when they have the flashbacks to the the classroom, there's a couple of quotes about you know how do you define history and. He has the generic, uh, what is it? History is the lies of the of the victor, and then uh, I that's think, the lies of the victor and the self delusions of the defeated. Yeah, so you know, you, you you sort of have I think that in in his memory too, and it's it's interesting to see him sort of explore those things and to see the reaction, like specifically to the letter, because. If you think about it, like I've probably, I've definitely said, if not written things like that to, you know, ex-girlfriends or, you know, whatever, just people I've been, I've been angry with, like maybe not when I was, you know, university age, but, uh, definitely like high school, um, you know, you, you pop your mouth off and you, and you say what you mean, but never at that time would I, would I've had the, um, capability to think about like anything down the road. Right. Right. And it's interesting to see him sort of reflect on his very specific and memorialized words. Um, and to, to suddenly sort of like realize that he might be at fault for, for Adrian's death and in some capacity. Um, and then, you know, I, I like I said, I started thinking about similar things that I've done, and like you know, still do. Like I'll, I have a temper sometimes, and I'll, I'll say things. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's hard to think about um, how much uh, like accountability you may have to take for something you've done in the past. Um, you know, because he's at his age when he wrote the letter, somewhat justified, right? I mean, this is a close friend that um, wants to date somebody who's you know potentially the one of the few people that, that he loved early on. Um, so he's he's probably right to be angry. He's probably justified in his in his youth to to be a bit overstated and you know how how angry he is. Um, you know, but then to sort of carry that remorse into you know did it propel Adrian's decision or not. I mean, that's, that's a tough thing to think through. And then, you know, yeah, he does have to dredge up these, these memories or his perception of, of what happened. And it's interesting to see him sort of peel back layers. Did you, did you think about yourself at all? Like, Oh, as as you're reading that? Absolutely. If there's one thing this book accomplishes, it's that it forces you because of how, I don't know how uniquely human, you know, just everyone obviously can relate to the idea of of memories and, and misperceptions and just the idea of, you know, how it affects yourself, you know, over the course of time. And as you get further, you know, removed from these, you know, how do you how do you change things in order to sort of, I don't know, make yourself feel better or right. or anything like that. But what's great about this book, like I said, going back and reading the, the first little bit again is so much of all of that, all of these things that happen in the second half they go back to that history class with old Joe. Yeah. And when they're talking about like, you know, kind of the, the chain of accountability when they, when he brings up the question of, you know, who's responsible for world war one and they, and you know, he starts, 
Adrian starts talking about this like chain of accountability and you know right, how you right. can't pin it on a person and you can't kind of just leave it up to chance or whatever. And then that reflects back again whenever we get that little like diary snippet from uh, from Adrian's journal and he's he's you know talking about all of this you know like wagering and and these sort of equations of of relationships and how it kind of it's additive and subtractive but also multiplicative and all this other stuff and so right. yeah I think it's I think it's really. I don't know. I, I definitely got a lot out of this book from a, from a personal standpoint, just looking at to it and just making you think about instances in your life where it's like, you know, you always have these these memories in your mind or these, you know, that you kind of have as gospel, as history. Sure, I sure. was there. You know, yeah. I know what happened. But there are a few there were like there was one quote that especially stood out to me that that old Joe said that I thought was really poignant when it comes to a lot of what this book is talking about. And it says, you know, historians need to treat a participant's own explanation of events with a certain skepticism. And even on an individual scale, you know, the things that you experience, you know, you tend to, you tend to put meaning behind them. You tend to interpret them and you tend to, you know, create things in a very specific and certain way that suits your view of thought and your, how you feel and you assign that all to this to this event to this memory and whether or not that is actually reflective of the reality on both sides of it doesn't matter anymore that's in your mind that's a memory that you have and that is crazy to think about to think about it, it makes you question a lot of things that you think about your life and the things that you've experienced in the past and maybe people that you've argued with or had fights with or, or misconstrued, you know, their intentions or their thoughts sure, or their sure. feelings and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think if there's one thing that I really got out of this book was that that whole idea is just the 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 unreliability of 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 your thoughts, of your memories, of of everything that kind of goes behind that. It's 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 very thought provoking in that way, I think. Yeah, you know, I it kind of reminded me of um, a couple years ago. Um, my my mom had sent me a text message um, that was it was it was about something that we were um, we were trying to to figure out, and I was I approached that situation that I was I was frustrated having to take care of something that I shouldn't really be responsible for. And um, the, the, the way that she wrote it at the time to me with my sort of cloud of, of, of anger was, um, you know, sort of like she was mad at me for being mad at her. Yeah. And so like literally um, I was like, all right, well, until she like acknowledges that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm going to do this thing, but um, you know, this is not an easy thing. And I, I want you to acknowledge that, you know, I shouldn't have to, shouldn't have to do this in the first place. Um, you know, after that, I, I was like, I'm just going to wait for her to talk to me. And I didn't talk to my mom for like, shit, three, four months, like no exaggeration. Wow. And, uh, you know, then sort of time burns things down a little bit. And, and, um, eventually like I, it got to the point, like I met my dad for coffee, like it was that sort of thing. And, and we had to like talk it over. And, you know, I was like, this, this is the way that this all went in, in my mind. And he's like, no, this is not like what was intended. And so we had this, we had this long conversation about it. And then I went back and, and read those 
those text messages again. And not only, you know, her, her messages to me, but mine back. And I, I realized after, um, after I had talked to him that my perception based on what he had told me was completely off base. Like, you know, my, my mom was, was sort of just trying to say, you know, that this, this thing was difficult, like, you know, whatever. And, um, she didn't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, and it, it wasn't quite as like, you know, this is your, this is your job, figure it out kind of the, the way that I, the way that I took it. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that was, I, that immediately came to mind. And then, you know, it's funny. Sometimes you sit down with your family and talk about like, um, you know, whether it's tragic things, um, but usually works better with like, um, like vacations and stuff. Yeah. Um, like when you're the a shared kid, memories. Like, yeah. Like, so uh, it's, it's, it's fun sometimes to sit down and go like, Hey, I remember this time we, we did this thing and you know, uh, whatever happened. And then somebody else comes back and says, well, no, that, that was from like a different vacation or, you know, uh, that wasn't this person that said it was this person. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting that everybody can experience the same thing, uh, and participate in whatever's going on, but come away with completely different perceptions of what actually was said or, or actually happened. Yeah, I was actually talking to this. I was actually talking about something very similar before I even read this book with someone. Just uh, we had both kind of had very similar like sibling when we grew up uh, that kind of just diverging uh, not mentalities, but just the way that we kind of interacted with our world and kind of like the things that we perceived and the things that were kind of, when we look back in memories, the things that stand out to us most, just the differences between like me and my sister, for yeah, example, who's yeah. five years older than me. And they had kind of a similar like musing that it's, you know, uh, memory is all about, or everything that you have with it is all about just the things that are most important to you, like perceptively at that time, the things that you perceive, whether, you know, if you could go to uh, an amusement park, you know, with your family and, they could be completely different, you know, yeah. ideas depending on how you perceive the events going on, how someone else perceives the events going on, and even just the things that stand out in your mind, whether it's whether it's feelings, whether it's, you know, just like spatial things that you see, whether it's, you know, conversations that maybe you had no idea, you could not even remotely begin to remember that it happened, but someone else maybe that was a key thing in their mind that stuck out to them. And it's 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 crazy to think that with all of the complexity that we have for like perceiving the world around us and, and for communicating and interacting with other people and interpreting things, at least relatively logically that we say and, and, and do and all this other stuff that with all of that, there's still so much that just is completely f- mistaken, misunderstood, forgotten, left aside. Just it's, it's really crazy to think about and all our, and all our, uh, you know, and all our, I guess perceived uh, control over our thoughts and over our feelings and over the way that we interact. It's I don't know. That's this book really. I will say this. You know that was the the biggest takeaway for me. Is just yeah. it got me thinking the last like two days. The like all like nonstop. Just just kind of this idea of of reflecting on things in your life and not even just yeah. you know like key important events like very mundane things that maybe it's like you know. I remember this. It's it's a memory that I have. It's not necessarily, you know, super duper important, but just sort of looking at it through a different lens of how you perceive it now to how I guess you've you've created this history for yourself. Cuz a lot of times, you know, when we have a memory of something mm-hmm. when we're younger, 
we have a memory of it. It sticks in our mind and then it becomes gospel for the rest of our lives. Yeah. How yeah. that memory happened is how it happened. Right. I remember this. We did this and it's in our mind. Right. And the reality of it is, is, you know, who you were when that memory was conceived, maybe a complete idiot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the things that you, the things that you interpret from interactions with others, the, the world around you, but it just compounds over time, right? A lot of the specifics of it, they get smoothed out. They get kind of worn over by time and right. the memory just kind of just keeps on, keeps on chugging. So I think it's super important to, to look at things in a different light sometimes to, to question how you've perceived things and how you've perceived events in your own life and just interactions with others. Like you said, I mean, that whole entire conversation took on a completely different light through a completely different set of eyes and, and feelings and whatever, even, right. you know, only a few months removed, just, just looking at it through a different lens and, and how it can be so different, that right. interpretation. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, this, this book, um, is, is sort of chock full of not only, you know, big themes like that, but there's also all these little like tidbits of sort of advice and like, you know, oh, there's so, there's so many quotables in this book, just things to pull out, just little blurbs. And I didn't, I, I didn't want to go through and write a bunch of them down, uh, like I did for, uh, yeah. Espadaire street. That's because mostly I listen to it through the audio book and that's yeah. like, I can always kind of go back and flip, but Oh, I found myself so many times stopping going like, I want to write this down, but yep. I have the book. I can always come back and, and look at something like that. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, on my second read through, I'm going to do it with a highlighter and, and th there are, there are a lot of things that just sort of like, you know, as, as an older uh, character, you know, telling you things there's sort of these tidbits of like, you know, worldly wisdom and yeah. like, uh, I, I just, I really enjoyed stuff like that. It just, some of it was just funny too. Like I like when he just kind of has these asides when he's talking about his relationships and he's like, I know it was the sixties, but it wasn't the sixties for everyone. <laughs> right. For some of us, we were still in the fifties. Right. So he's think, you know, when he's talking about just his, uh, his inability to, uh, advance sexually in any of his, uh, relationships or conquests at that time, even though it's, you know, it's the sixties, it's free love, it's whatever. It's not the sixties for everyone. You kind of have to understand that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about remorse because, you know, going back to, to the memories and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, Tony builds up this, this guilt then, um, once he reads the letter, um, or remorse, uh, about what happened even late in the book he offers his apology like yeah. um he he seems to be trying to come to terms with this and and obviously it's it's affected him but um my hot book take of the day is that there, he doesn't have anything to be remorseful for um given the events of like the of the second part like he can feel bad for saying cross words but I think he wrongly assigns himself blame for Adrian and, and all of that. Sure. I don't think that, yeah, I don't think that directly that I, I would view him as responsible, but I think that a lot of what that letter did kind of set some things into motion in Adrian's mind, just with, with steering her or him towards kind of Veronica's mother for some perceived sort of, damages even though i will say on a first like on a second reading through of the first bit man i feel like i feel like tony mischaracterized that whole relationship a ton and i don't feel like i don't feel like we're led to kind of believe going into the second half that she's just this like very cold and like you know uh just 
mean spirited person or whatever. Yeah. And on a second read through, I didn't get that at all with the information that I'd gotten from the second half. So I think that he does. I don't know. Remorse is very strong because even like he says in the book, it's like remorse is one of those things that, you know, it like can't be forgiven. It's remorseful. And, and his right. whole thought was like, I want to I want to bring this back down to guilt and, and try to like seek out this forgiveness for it. And because it's like, who says you can't be forgiven for these old type of things? Right. But the thing for me, most out of all of this is this whole process of him, like, I guess, trying to seek out information and trying to seek out like forgiveness from her. Um I just, I kept wondering, like, to what end? Like, yeah. it, it felt very self-serving and selfish. Like, he's not trying, he doesn't, like, it's not like he actually genuinely felt bad. I mean, like, he yeah. read the letter and it's like, yeah, I feel bad that it's like, this was this was pretty mean and that things have kind of, you know, manifested themselves in a lot of ways. But it really, it just feels like he's like, man, I feel sad about this. I want someone to forgive me so I can feel happy about it again. And so that's why the whole thing with him kind of, uh, kind of like you know, even says he's like constantly sending her emails to like try to to try to get a hold of her and pester her, and then he's like trying to 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 reconcile these things. It just felt like very self serving. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely was, but you know, at the same time, um, you know, I think that I think that 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 he sort of had a reason to. Um, I mean, I, I disagree. I think I think Veronica, at least in his perception, uh, is is a bit of a nutcase. But I, mean, I think his perception's wrong. That's but, what I'm saying. But like, but but why? Okay, so why does she act toward him the way that she does? Coldly? Yeah. I think because you look throughout the. I think that when you go back and you reread a lot of stuff that's going in, on in a relationship, that yeah, I I think that she was. You know, Tony writes her off as this like, eh, she's just kind of, she's, you know, very like snooty and stuck upish, And, you know, he's just, like super hyper fixated on the, the like sexual side of their relationship and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you see that it's kind of like, okay, they're kind of doing this whole like thing that's not quite there. And then you see this instances throughout all their interaction. And even whenever uh, he goes home for the weekend where it's like, she's a, a originally kind of like standoffish. And then she like starts being like more emotionally open to him and like starts like holding his hand and touching him and like smiling and walks back. Sure. And then everything that you see with Tony's reaction to that is he's like, man, I wish I would have talked to her mom more. He like asked her about her mom. And then like that, that one like interaction with the mom where it's like, don't let her get her way or whatever. Right. It like, it creates this image in his mind that somehow she's like manipulating him and it completely influences the way he views her in a completely different way after that. Because there's even moments throughout the book when you go back and you read and it's like, Oh, you know, like she's dancing in there and, and she's asking, you know, she's asking yeah, him questions yeah. and we're led to believe that it's like, oh, she's just trying to like figure out, you know, she's just trying to like get the hooks in or whatever. And I feel like it's a bad trade off. And it's like, no, it's like you can see kind of this. You can see these instances where she's opening up and trying to go towards somewhere. And then you get this whole they're communicating and Tony's just being very like bullshit. He's like. I don't know what's stagnation, you know, can't we just hang out and have a good time and, yeah. and also the shit and he's very peaceable. And it's like, you look back and you go like, yeah, like if I was in her situation in that instance, like I would be, I would be kind of pissy about it too. And then you have the whole instance where it's, you know, they break up and, and you know, she, she gives in to this idea that the entirety of their relationship, all he's wanted is to have, you know, sex is to have this yeah. sort of progression in that. And she gives into it. And all of a sudden he's not interested because he says there's something about, you know, women that say no, that attract him and he breaks up and it's just, I can understand that. Sure. Uh, and then you even look at it after the fact where it's like, Tony's like, Oh, she was just trying to move up with Adrian or whatever. But 
And he, he views the letter that Adrian sent, even though it was a reasonable thing. It's like, hey, you know, we're dating. I want to I want to let you know. I don't want this to be something that you find out. She agreed that this was a good idea that we tell you. And, you know, we're just trying to we're just trying to cover our bases. Be nice. Yeah. It just seemed like it was a thoughtful thing. And he completely interpreted it as something else. Like it's rubbing his nose in the fact that she's upgrading or whatever. And so I feel yeah. like, again, so much of how we view Veronica in the second half is based on how Tony interprets things in the first half. And once you see that, okay, Tony, you, he admittedly, and through the course of the book, you realize that, yeah, Tony is not, he's, he's not reliable. I mean, there's all these memories that pop up where he's like, oh, she yeah. Nance and all this other stuff. And then you go back and read it again and you can see the instances where it's like, okay, we just kind of took this as gospel because it's like, Tony's our narrator. We're just going to listen to him. And then you go back with a different idea and you go, yeah, Tony was kind of a shithead. Yeah, I, I, I think he definitely was. But, but f- for me, like even the, even the misperception of her uh, character in the first part doesn't make sense to me why she would behave toward him the way that, that she chooses to. I mean, just like, you know, getting up and leaving, like one word answers, like, you know, she's she's angry and she's uh, she's rude um, and completely unhelpful for a reason that's not really explained by just, you know, the fact that she sort of had this unrequited love and that, you know, Tony sort of like, you know, I, was was rude to her and, and you know, all of this kind of stuff. Like, I'll, t- I'll tell you, like when uh when she drove um and, and parked and and uh and met the uh what do they call them community care uh, yeah. group and she was trying to point out Adrian's son i had a brief moment where i actually thought that she was trying to like articulate to him that she was like that she was maybe autistic or like had problems like emotionally and like that she was trying to illustrate that through showing, you know, maybe people that that she had right. she had dealt with. And um, to me, that's that was like sort of like, a oh, well, maybe this would explain like some of her behavior, like, you know, her her, you know, snootiness and stuff in, in the beginning, her just like getting up from the table and, you know. And, and just having these weird sort of encounters, um, not making eye contact and like, you know, so I started to head in that direction. Weird as that may sound yeah. that, that maybe, you know, she was trying to to say, like, I wasn't being, you know, rude to you. I, this is just the way that I was built. Um, of course, that is not at all the no. the, the, the deal. But um like I, I, I spent so much time, uh, probably as much time as Tony, I guess, in in those situations, trying to, to exactly like put my thumb on what her deal was exactly. Yeah, it did seem okay. Like I, I understand it. It did seem out of character just because it. I felt like it was uh, the reason why she was so closed off and uncooperative and kept saying things like he didn't get, you never got it, you never will get it, that stuff like that. I think that was more so a device in this book to kind of. To kind of allow us to, instead of her just saying, telling us everything, yeah, it allowed yeah. Tony, you know, 30 some odd pages of like trying to go through and, and pull these instances and figure it out. You know, she very easily could have just said like, listen, this letter you sent and Adrian ended up seeking out, you know, my mother because he felt, you know, self-conscious about our relationship. And then they developed a romantic relationship and they had a kid and, you know, right. now 
you know, I've been partially, you know, responsible for helping care for it. And it's been a very big detriment to my life and all this other stuff. And I feel that you have a degree of responsibility in that. That'd be a really easy thing to say and just go, oh, okay. That's kind of why this, this, there's this coldness to it. But it's done in so much more like a cryptic way. Like she gives him part of the journal and she gives him the letter. Right. And she's very closed off about it. And it did seem a little bit out of character because in the first portion of the book, she wasn't particularly, he always said, you know, she was, she was the mysterious woman. You know, he made the connection between her and Margaret and Margaret wasn't the mysterious woman. She was, you know, very much like she was who he was and that whole thing. But at no point in the first half of the book are we led to believe that she's like mysterious in a manner of just like completely leaving you guessing, you know, very much the, the, the mystery behind the way that she acted and her emotions in the in the first half of the book were Tony just being a dumb young guy and not right. understanding kind of the that whole emotional side of his relationship. So I did think it was strange. Uh, I don't necessarily think it was in character. I think it was kind of just a means of getting us to that point where now Tony's having to he's having to go through and, and figure all this stuff out instead of her just laying it out there for him. So you you think that she was she was justified like in being that no i think that i think that the actions in the whole second half were out of character okay but you know i think that it served a purpose in this book of getting us inside tony's head and not just being like oh here's all that happened into the book so where, where do you think tony is at the end of the book with with all of this like he just sort of like to me he just goes meh yeah um with maybe a, a tinge of of shame like attached to that i i don't know i think that he i don't know i think that by the time he's you know constantly going back to the pub and the store and trying to run into this group because this is you know we're we we get a big jump in time where he's now going for like weeks at a time or whatever down there occasionally i think at that point it seems like he's over the over the over the guilt i mean he has a little bit still but at that point it just seems like it's more of a curiosity like then, then yeah. anything else, it just seems like he just wants to find out. It's not necessarily that he feels overly guilty, even though, you know, he's apologized to her because he perceives that it's, this is her son with Tony. And, right, you know, right. the, the revelation at the end is, no, it's Sarah's son with Tony, her right. mother. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think that he just kind of goes on. I mean, it doesn't really, nothing in the book leads me to believe that he's going to somehow have this big dramatic, you know, personal life affirming change or anything because of this or any type of like deep, you know, thought about himself other than kind of what he's already gone through up until that point with, you know, the Adrian diary and the letter and just reconnecting with her. So yeah, I think he just goes on and does his thing. what, What do you think happened with the diary? Do you think she, she actually burned it? Yeah. I could I could totally see that as as plausible. Like, I think yeah, I think it's I think that that's just again another little wink and a nudge to when he got the letter from uh, from Adrian and he burned yeah. it, you know, like symbolically in the the paper basket in the in the first half when he gets the letter from them. yeah. I think that is a little bit of a little wink and a nudge to but, that. But so if she burned it, why would she send him a photocopy in the first place? I mean, maybe it's just a narrative device, yeah. but like. Why, why not just send it to him? Why not just, if you're, if you're going to rid yourself of it and say, you know, this asshole not only got my mom pregnant, but then 
offed himself as a result, uh, ostensibly well, because of the circumstances. I don't know. Maybe because, you know, it also it also he talks about that kind of like glass ring that she's wearing. The, yeah, that maybe I don't maybe she like loved Adrian and was like traumatically, you know, moved by this or that whole event like shaped a lot of her adult life because it doesn't seem like she'd gotten married or had kids of her own. She's been taking care of her, you know, handicapped uh, or at least assisting and taking care of her of her handicapped illegitimate brother, half brother or whatever. So, yeah. I, you know, I, yeah, I don't understand uh, too much about that, but I think that it's just, she sent him the page in trying to, uh, trying to let him understand without just having to spell it out for him. Yeah. And then since the letter is kind of a reinforcement of that, of that, you know, jog your memory. This is something that, uh, this is something that you were, in relation to that that sort of musing that Adrian had that you were at least kind of culpable in, not, again, getting back to the idea of, you know, you don't just pin it on one person. It's yeah. that chain of culpability. And if, you know, a link breaks, is it the responsibility of the whole chain? Is it just the link? Like, what is the, what is the thought process behind that? How far can you extend that out in order to sort of spread the blame on these sorts of things? Like, that's an interesting idea. And I think that that's kind of fitting with that whole interaction. It doesn't make... Uh, you know, in a normal human interaction doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense, but from a storytelling standpoint, if you're trying to get into something that makes you think, then yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, so I, I had one, I had one last question. Okay. Do you have anything else? Mine was just, uh, she kept referring to Tony. You don't get it. You've never gotten it and you never yeah. will get it. What do you think she meant in, in the most simplest of terms? What did you think that she meant by he wouldn't get it? I think that she meant that he wouldn't understand what she thinks or feels. Yeah, I think that's a safe, like if we're just that, obviously we can extrapolate that to a whole bunch of sure. things, but I think, yeah, on the, on the simplest level, I think that it was Tony was, I don't know. It seemed like through all of his interactions, he never really, he never really was capable of like getting outside of his head, like of yeah. empathizing with others. He was very fixated on like his own feelings and his own thoughts on whatever the situation was. And, you know, I guess outside of like what he perceived Adrian's thoughts to be kind of whenever they all went to school and stuff and just, you know, oh, you know, I want to communicate because they always kind of all looked up to him. Right. Yeah. It didn't really seem like he uh, he thought too much or cared too much outside of whatever his kind of conceived uh, thoughts were. All right. So so my last thing is is kind of jumping back to the ending and okay. um. I thought it was sort of a missed opportunity to end on on the note that he that he did when he so the the seven bore right um, we we yes. googled this before we started recording because neither of us had had seen it but so basically what it is if you if you don't know um, it is uh, a, basically a tidal wave coming from sea going inland through. Uh, through an uh, a, a uh, sorry a river that that opens up to the ocean yeah and then that wave just kind of rolling inland and it can go for hundreds of miles um and uh it it happens what do you two hundred something times a year yeah it was like two hundred it was one hundred thirty days of the year it happens twice a year I think is what 
good old reliable Wikipedia said. So it's it, it's a really bizarre thing, and and there's there's a lot of videos on YouTube of of people surfing and stuff on, on this. But um, so you you have you know obviously his memory of of them uh, together uh, experiencing this, um, but then you know I I think that it was a missed opportunity not to like make that sort of the the ending image in in some way shape or form because. You know, th- this whole narrative with with the diary and, and Veronica coming back up um, is is really a seven bore. Y- you have this sort of natural flow to the way that that life progresses. Right. The water flows out to the ocean. Um, and, you know, once once you get to the end, it's just, you know, you're you're there. It's over. It's sure. the, the river's gone. Uh, but then there there is this this very forceful sort of you know ripple from sort of the reverse end of his life that pushes him um, you know backwards to uh, time and people and circumstances that he you know would not otherwise have encountered. And now not only is he having to relive. Um, you know, certain pieces of, of his memory and his relationships. But now he's, you know, f- having to form new experiences based off of those things and, you know, could could help shape him. Um, so I, I just thought that 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 was uh, if I were writing this book, I, I would have found that a, a better way to to sort of tie things out um, just because he makes so many references to it um, and water's heavy and like. I don't know. I just like there are all these things that, you know, you can you can start to tie in, you know, by extrapolation with ending on on an image like that. And that's that's how I would have fixed it. I I think that would have been interesting because one thing I didn't get to, but that I wrote down because I thought it was uh, an interesting kind of turning point in the first section of the book um, is when he goes to the seven born. And uh, at this point, we don't hear that he's there with Veronica. We get that later after yeah. the fact. But as he sees it and everyone goes and chases the wave, he's standing there alone and he talks. He specifically says he can't convey the effect that moment had on me. And he said it wasn't destructive like an earthquake or a tornado, but it was unsettling because it looked and felt quietly wrong, like time was flowing backwards. Right. And like that whole, yeah, that whole idea of it, it seemed like that was kind of that was a that was a weird turning point in the first portion of the book, primarily because like the very next uh, paragraph is like, wow, we broke up. And, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, that kind of came out of nowhere. And then later you kind of see that it's like, okay, some of that is maybe that experience that if she was there and and all that. But yeah, I, I definitely think that would have that would have been an interesting way to end it if it was the Severn born again, just kind of the that. Yeah, like just you said, literally that, cut that, and paste that, that to that, the end of the book, and it's a thumbs up. That for me. yeah, that conceptual idea of you know for brief moments of time, you know, time kind of flows backwards, and that's the way that it works with with memory. I mean, like sure, time, sure. time is linear. Uh, we've argued that time is cyclical in yes. previous in previous books, but yes. from a scientific standpoint, time is linear. But memory is another way to kind of run time backwards and it is it's you know it's it's a profound thing it's unsettling sometimes to kind of get yourself in that mindset and yeah i I definitely agree i think that would have been a i think that would have i would have i would have certainly enjoyed that ending a little bit more than the one we got i felt like the one we got it you know kind of tied off the loose end a little bit but it left it was one of those uh yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's a 224-page book. Masquerading is a 163-page book. You got to go back and I'm, read the I'm gonna first go back p- and, portion and again with different it. eyes. Yeah, I'm going to do it. All right, we need to get to ratings, man. Let's get to ratings. Um, ladies first. Ladies first. That's me. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, like I said, I originally read this book and there was so much that I enjoyed about it and so much that I took out of it. And uh, I was a little let down and I went back and reread it again. It's top shelf for me. I'm going to recommend it to anybody that uh, wants to think about the things that we've talked about in here. And hopefully if I'm recommending it to people and they're listening at this point in time, they would have hopefully already read it so that they can kind of get a little bit more input on it. But who knows? Yeah. But just for the just for the. I mean, the the shortness of it, not shortness of it, whatever. The shortness <laughs> of it, not the briefness. There's, It's it's dense. I mean, I, I read it in one sitting. I would universally recommend it. I want to read more by this author because I really appreciated his writing style, the deliberacy behind... Deliberacy? God, I'm just making up words. It's the deliberateness... I, I kind of like deliberacy. The deliberateness of his writing style, the wit. It's just... It's very... It's very digestible... Very understandable. At the same time, it evokes a lot of emotion as you're reading it. It evokes a lot of just thought-provoking, you know, feelings and all that. So yes, this this is a great book, top shelf for me, universally recommended. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% on board. I, I think for for me, the the selling point is that Barnes can create um, a voice in the in the first person narrator that is unique and believable. Um, and again, like if you want to read something else, you you should read Talking It Over because the the way that it's the way that it's told is like you get a chapter in uh, first person from one character, then a chapter from another, then a chapter from another, and immediately the thing that I was so um, so caught off guard by was how effectively he can change his voice and make people completely unique. Um, and not only the, the, the way that they, um, say things, but, um, just their, their perception of, of situations and, and, uh, it's, it's really one of the best things that, uh, that I've read in a while. I, I, I definitely, uh, have a, have a book nerd crush on, on Julian Barnes right now. Like he's good stuff, man. Uh, all right. So we do need to, to move on to, to other books as much as. As much as I wish we could read more Barnes right now, what is our next book? Sir? Man, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Your books, uh, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed I'm, I'm the, due, the last few. You're due you, for a you're due egg. for a dud here yeah. pretty soon. It's going to happen, but uh, we got a little bit of time. So this next book that we're going to be going over, we're going to have some we're going to have some time to read it. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert: We had a pretty quick turnaround on this Barnes book, mostly out of necessity for your uh, your work scheduling and so, yeah. the fact that you're going to be out of town, yeah. but. Uh, surprisingly fast turnaround on this. So we have a little bit of extra time to kind of stew uh, through our next book, which is a pick of mine. I talked about it last week. I'll talk about it again this week. It's Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Now, you, Ryan, as yes. a person, you've read some Cormac McCarthy, I, I specifically The Road, the road yeah. and you were not a fan of I it. I was not impressed. Was it just sort of the the writing style in general or just the narrative or what? Um... Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, I, I think I think it was the style more than more than anything. Okay. Um, so I, I'm I'm trying to purge myself of all like preconceived notions sure. about what what his other stuff might be like because the road is pretty unique. Um, so I'm hoping that this is more enjoyable, but. If it's not, you're going to get a pretty interesting podcast next time. That is true. Good or bad, there will always be interesting uh, interesting banter. So, yes, Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Pretty prolific writer. Um, oh, yeah. 
you know, this is a this is a really really highly acclaimed book. Uh, looking into it, so yeah. I'm excited. I'm setting up some some pretty high expectations for it personally because this has been okay. one that's kind of been at the back of my mind on this podcast. I didn't want to just throw it out there like week two. Yeah. I, I, I'm impatient, so I didn't want to just wait forever on it. So I was like, you know what? We're going to get it out there. Episode 12. We're a little bit of ways in here. We've kind of gone through a lot of this, and, and we're really kind of comfortable just, just diving in and talking about this book. So I'm excited about it. All right. That's going to be our next episode. And then the episode after that is Ryan's pick, which I don't think he has at this time, yeah. but it's a little early. We'll get around to yeah, it. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm kicking around a couple ideas. One thing I realized today uh, is that we have don't, we've done no female authors um, and that is true. I felt I felt really like awful about that, to be honest, um, because I have a lot of really good uh, female writers on my bookshelf, uh, things that I would love, love to reread. Um, so I'm, I'm kicking over a couple um, and I'm, I'm looking at a few other ones um, to try to try to rectify that situation. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I may reach out to my sister again. I've, I think I've sure. mentioned her briefly on this on the on the show. She got her uh, she got her doctorate in literature. I think specifically in Victorian literature. So, uh, oh god, yeah, she's uh, she's a big book nerd. But I may reach out to her for some author suggestions. Not for well, yours obviously you'll be yeah. doing that. But maybe the one after that. We need to, we we to balance something, the scale. Something here. interesting in there. Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, thank you for uh, for listening to this episode. Uh, go go buy more Barnes books. Uh, also buy uh, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. That will be the next episode. And until next time.